This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Saucy. With a name like Saucy, you might think it's a monthly subscription box of different sauces. Marinara for March, soy for September, pesto for December. Well, it's not. Saucy is beer, wine, spirits ordered online and delivered directly to your door. However, I am asking for $100,000 in exchange for 2% of my version for Saucy. With the original Saucy, you can get alcohol delivery in 30 minutes. You can shop for over 1,000 plus products at great prices. You can order craft beer, wine, spirits online, or download the mobile app for iOS or Android. However, with my Saucy, you get one sauce every day of the month. January 1st, a sauce. January 2nd, a second jar of the same sauce. So on and so forth, January 31st, the 31st jar of sauce. Now you're probably wondering, is that too much sauce? But it won't be if people change their eating habits. Back to the original Saucy. Stay in and order a drink. No delivery fees, no minimums. Order the drinks you want, and in 30 to 60 minutes, have a drink at your door, or schedule alcohol delivery when it's best for you. Plus, they have snacks, mixtures, and more, all available for delivery in less than an hour. With my Saucy, I will personally make and deliver jars of the best sauces ever made. Right now, I've only made the aforementioned marinara soy and pesto, but I've got a recipe for vodka sauce, and so that one should be fairly easy. Uh, please email me at saucy, not the alcohol delivery, but the daily sauce subscription jar at hotmail.net. And I'll, I'll add sauces and we can maybe get into business here. But to get alcohol delivered to your door and to save 10% on your order, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash saucy. That's boardwalkaudio.com forward slash saucy, S-A-U-C-E-Y. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like nearly would, and we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Allison Laby. She's a great stand-up that's written parody books as well as for The President Show and The Opposition. She's a really funny writer. I think you like this episode. So here is Allison Laby. Uh, Allison, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Annapolis, Maryland. So okay, like that's the... Between Baltimore and D.C. kind of seaside. And Annapolis is the... The army, the naval academy. Naval, yes. right. But I have no. My family's like not military yeah. at all. It just like was in between DC and Baltimore, which is where we need to be a lot. Oh, cool. Did you did you like right up there? Uh, yeah, it was nice. I definitely don't want to go back, yeah. but I did. You know, for what it was, I liked growing up there. It's mm-hmm. like nice to be like on the water and good. You know, nice communities. You know, a nice way, a very upper middle class suburban right. like way to grow up. Mm-hmm. Were you were you interested in comedy at all growing up? Uh, I like, like my family was always very comedy focused. Like when we would get together and do like our big, like Hanukkah, you know, celebration for the year or whatever, we'd always have like a VHS of like SNL commercial parodies or like right. all the holiday things and like Mel Brooks movies. So like, I loved all of that and like stand up and watched all of it, but not in a way where I was like, I have to go do this when I grow up. Like I didn't know it was an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like so many kids, at least for me, I was like, Oh, you could just do it. You just pick a job. Like, right. I feel like I was like, I should be a doctor or a lawyer or like something <laughs> like that. It is funny how like, I don't know, this the jobs that people think about when they're like really young are just like doctor. Yeah. They're just like the ones that are like the three professionals you've ever encountered. In right. your life. You're like, oh, those are real people. So you can be like, I feel like comedians and like people who write television and stuff like don't you don't interact with them until you're like older. So you don't right. really know that like, they're just also regular people. Yeah. Well, some of them are, regular <laughs> people. most of them are insane. And so like when you were uh, growing up, did you like, were you like into like performance stuff or writing stuff at all? No, I was into writing stuff. Like I think, um, I mean like I did like the school yearbook and I like was very into English and like ended up being an English major in college and like wrote little, like did a lot of like, I remember playing a lot of, like, video games when I was younger that were, like, you, like, write a play or a sketch and then, like, cartoons would act it out. Like, that's what, like, the video games I would play were essentially just, like, Final Draft <laughs> that, like, got animated. Wait, wait. You, you, there, there were video games where you... It was, like, a com- not, not a video game, a computer game. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, a computer game. So, like, lots of, like, those kind of, like, 
vaguely educational, like just oh, right. writing, like lots of like my friend and I would make a fake magazine and yeah. it would be like, fun. like I was into all that stuff. But again, like not with any like goal of doing anything mm. with it. Just like, that's yeah. what I liked as a kid. And where'd you go to college? I went to Cornell. Oh, okay, cool. So when you were uh, an English major there, is that kind of when you decided you wanted to go into comedy? No, it was oh. years later. Oh, interesting. I went, I went to, I was initially pre-med um, and I wanted to do, you know, maybe go to medical school, maybe into bio research or whatever. And like a year in, I was like, Ugh, this sucks. I don't want to do this <laughs> at all. This is not fun. It's not exciting. Um, I like my English classes way more. And so then I just like became an English, you know, changed to English and then mm. wanted to be an English professor. That was like the only like to me, I was like, this is it. Like it's which is weird because like what I do now is just the funny version of an English professor. Yeah, I guess so, like, yeah. You're just like writing papers and books. You're <laughs> you're standing up and like talking about stuff in front of like a bunch of people every day. And then you're like having like conversations one on one. It's like literally just the literature version of like what a writer comedian right. is, which is so weird that it like. I did that, and then I didn't end up going and, and getting my PhD. I ended up, like, working in book publishing for a while and museums, and then finally, like, in my, like, mid to late 20s, started doing comedy. What did your, your parents think when you uh, stopped pre-med? They were, my mom was an English teacher when I was uh, okay. growing up. Like, neither of them were doctors, so, yeah. like, neither of them were, like, gunning for that, but I think that they were, like, oh, a stable career, and, like, mm-hmm. then, you know, I think my dad was a little more, like, what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> and my mom was, like, yay! <laughs> I've, I noticed through this podcast a lot of people were pre-med, and uh, dropped it. Yeah. I Well, I think it's, like, also one of those things where, like, right. if you're good, like, I don't know, like, there's a big difference between, like, being, like, a good student in biology in AP Bio in high school and then, like, right. actually having to go and make that eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours of your day every, like, yeah. there's so much more to it. And then you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be, which I think is, like, most people's experience with it. It, it is very weird that you just have to, when you're 18, you're like, this is my job. Yeah, why on earth would any, I mean, I understand you have to start figuring things out a little bit, but, like, it changes any, I mean, it changes, yeah. like, ten times before you're 30. So, like, right. it shouldn't be, like, like pre-med shouldn't be an option. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, you shouldn't be able to be pre-med or pre-law or, like, have a major until you're two years in, in yeah. my opinion. I don't know. But I, I'm a liberal arts person, so like <laughs> I'm like, you should try everything, and I understand that there are people that like know what they want and just go for it and <laughs> respect to them, but like I don't understand it. <laughs> so, so when did you uh, start doing comedy? What prompted that? Um, I had been doing like kind of like creative adjacent jobs for a while. I, I worked in, like I said, I worked in book, but I interned at The Onion when I graduated. Oh, cool. Uh, which was dope, but then they didn't have money. They still don't have money. Probably um, less money today. Yeah, I think there's less money now than ever. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, so after that, I was just like looking for different jobs and kind of trying to do like a little bit of freelance writing on the side and like kind of here and there, like had like a like a funny fashion blog that I ran for a while and uh, just tried some different stuff. But like everything was just like I didn't know that you could just start doing comedy. Mm-hmm. So I was working at a museum. Um it was very interesting, but I was like, this just isn't what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done like a little bit of storytelling, like here and there, I'd done like a little bit of storytelling. And then I just took a stand up class at the pit. Just, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I'm, I am an academic at the end of the day always. <laughs> so I was like, I need a class. I need somebody to tell me what to do. Um, and I took that class and then just started doing open mics mm-hmm. and then was like, oh, I can't ever go back. Like, this is the only thing I care about. And you know, quit the museum job and, or no, I'm sorry, they laid me off um, because I was unemployed for a while and then just had kind of like temp jobs and stuff Mm -hmm. like that while I was like doing stand-up and writing. The stand-up classes, I feel like are very controversial in terms of some people are very for them and some people think it's like a scam. Yeah, I think it just depends on what, like the pit I think is a very, like it's a community, like I feel that people's improv theater in case I assume people would know, but maybe not. Um, Like that's a community that's like, you know, there's other classes, you know, they're teaching improv, they're teaching sketch. They're te- like, I, Tom Shalou was my teacher. Like he's mm-hmm. a great comedian and he's like a wonderful and warm person. And his advice was just like, I'm just giving you the confidence to go do a million open mics and start shows and do stand up. And like, mm-hmm. that's really all I needed it for and all like he wanted to give. And, uh, one of my closest friends in comedy was in that class with me. Um, and we like, met each other there and now both still do it. We're the only two people from that class that still do it. But, <laughs> but that's like the, right. you know, the, it's not so that everyone can go do it. Um, I think that there are other classes that are just money-making scams mm-hmm. to try and like 
get 500 bucks out of people who like have no idea what they're doing. But like, I feel like when you go through like an improv school, if they have a stand up class, like it's going to be fine. Right. You know, and it's like whatever you want to get out of it. Like if you think that you need somebody to teach you how to be a comedian in eight weeks, like it is a scam because there's no way to do that. It takes eight years. Mm -hmm. But um, I think for like, for me, I just needed like, tell me what I need to go do was what I wanted. Cause like there is no, you know, textbook for like, then you do this and then you do this. Mm -hmm. Like, so I just needed to know what open mics were. And then I was like, all right, I've got three minutes of jokes now. I'll go. So when you first start doing open mics, uh, are you doing like the the jokes from that class? Or are you just Yeah, I mean you know? we wrote like a couple of jokes from that yeah. class, but then like that was just kind of like an impetus to like start right it's like to learn like what is sitting down to write a joke. Right. And so then I just started writing more and more and like trying to like prepare like, you know, five minutes throughout the week that mm-hmm. I would like do it and I would go do at first I only did like one or two open mics a week. So I was like, I don't know what this is. And then like, I learned like, Oh, you just do all of them every night for five years. <laughs> and that's how you do it. Uh, but you have to like ease it and get comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have stage fright, but I definitely was like, uh, room of 30, mostly men, people I don't know, right. judging me on a thing I've done twice. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, a little scary. <laughs> and mostly like other comedians who are just waiting to go up. Yeah, it's only other comedians. I've yeah. never been to an open mic that's on an audience. I I was at uh one uh I was like doing tech there and there's one where like two people just randomly came in to watch. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes weird. I found that would happen at like New York Comedy Club or like some yeah. of the places where people would just like walk in and they would be like, "Yeah, come in, I guess. Uh, <laughs> are you performing?" and they're like, "What?" <laughs> no. <laughs> uh so what how, what is your approach to like writing jokes? Um, I mean, it really changes and it's changed a lot over time based on kind of what I'm doing. Like when all I did was work at temp jobs and do open mics from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. every night, um, there was a little bit of I'm going to take this premise that I think I have at least a loose punchline to um, and then I'm going to do it four times throughout tonight. And refine it and find what's funny. And like by the end of it, hopefully have either a better version of that punchline or a different angle on that joke. Um, so would you like bomb your first uh, first open mic of the night? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you bomb every open mic. They're all, like, I don't think I've ever like done what like, I mean, no one does well. Like if you're doing well, you know, either you have a really funny joke on your hands or you're playing to the room. Right. That's never going to be in the room when you're doing a different show. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely would be like looser at the beginning and like by the end tighter. And then, then that kind of been, would be think, something I do during the week and kind of like keep swapping that joke, you know, mm-hmm. different jokes. And now, now I don't, I don't really do a ton of open mics. I still do when I don't have shows because I like getting up and I like working out new stuff and I feel guilty working out like super raw stuff if an audience paid to be there. Um, so I try and do that when it's free, mm-hmm. either like a low key bar show or an open mic, but these days I try and write a little bit, like I feel like I'm writing longer bits uh, than I used to. So I try and kind of like, I'm just like usually just trying to tack on to like things that already exist or find pieces that mm. go together um, in like longer sets. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. But in terms of sitting down and writing, like sometimes it's like so easy and like I'll right. think of something and I'll tweet it and it like does well. And I'm like, there's something to this and I'll sit down and write how it should sound out loud, mm-hmm. like which is always a little bit different. Um and sometimes I'm just like, like right now I'm sitting and I'm like, I need to write jokes and I don't have anything to say. <laughs> and that's, you know, when I try and like comb through and just be like, I don't know, what did you see on TV this week? What did you, what did you see? What happened to the grocery store? Like right. try and think of something uh, and force it. <laughs> and, and when you're working like a, a job, like yeah. how do you like, cause then like, what are you talking about? Cause you're just like at your job mostly. Right. And that is like, I remember when I was like, I always say to people who are coming up, I'm like, you should have a day job mm-hmm. always because like, you'll be out in the world, uh, during the day. So you're participating in society right. and you have <laughs> things to write about that people want. Like people who come and see a comedy show also have day jobs. They have, they're called their jobs. Like they're, <laughs> that's what they're doing. So they relate to like having stuff about that. Uh, when I'm sitting and writing, when I'm writing on a show, it's a little different because like, you know, at least at some, like at the opposition, like we didn't leave all day and we were just like writing from 9am to 6pm and there was no, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to go at lunch and like this crazy lady was at the salad place and like that doesn't happen. Um, so I tend to not be writing as much new stuff then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to more like 
But sometimes, like, at least I've written on a lot of shows, like, where, I mean, I've written on a lot of topical shows. And therefore, like, you know, I have, I'm thinking and saying, we're talking about, like, what's happening in the world all day. So usually I can kind of, like, pull some stuff that we've been talking about that doesn't make it on the show or that, you know, we're not, we're just, like, talking about but never writing about and be like, okay, well, I clearly have thoughts on this stuff. I've pitched stuff about this. It didn't get taken. Like, maybe there's something for me Hmm. to, like, say on stage about it. And when you're, like, at a complete blank, like you mentioned, like, what do you do? So you just comb through your life? Yeah, I have, like, a document where I keep, like, just, like, loose premises. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, the most disorganized, useless thing on my computer. But it is there. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I'll scroll back through Twitter. Like, I try and stay really good about just, like, tweeting as often as possible even if it's just dumb garbage like that i think celery is a really good vegetable why don't people believe me like just dumb <laughs> shit but you know those are thoughts i it does like kind of get me like okay this is like what i've been thinking about recently so like maybe i do want to write something about food because like i've been thinking about food a lot so then it kind of spurns at least mm. like that's a thing you care about <laughs> like yeah. sometimes when i sit down to write i'm like do i have any interests <laughs> or opinions <laughs> it's so weird um so sometimes i'll scroll through twitter i'll scroll through you know i'll just like See what I've been wa- go back and see what I've been watching all week on TV and be like, is there anything you could talk about? Even if it's just like a joke you're going to throw away after a week or two, just like something to have some fresh energy mm-hmm. in a set. Cause like even just having one new joke will make everything else feel like a little bit more alive and not as like much of a play that you're doing for right. people. And, and like when you're like when you're first starting out, what kind of like topics are you talking about? I mean, it's different for everybody. Yeah. I mean, there's always like kind of the phase where like you get really dirty for a while and then you kind of come out of it because like you learn that it's a little bit of a crutch, but then like I'm back in a dirty phase. So like, I don't know what that means. Like, (laughs) um, I, I mean most, it just depends on your humor. Like my comedy is mostly, I mean, I guess most people's is like my take on what I see around me. And like, it's a lot of opinions. My stuff is a lot about what it's like to be a woman and like struggles I've had and interactions I've had. And, kind of been that way the whole time so at the beginning that's like what I think I was writing a lot more of like this happened to me today here's why it was funny and now it's probably it's evolved more into like here's what I think about those kinds of interactions like from a a more blown up standpoint or whatever which like I guess I just didn't know the joke writing to get that done or like at first you just have to learn like the rhythm of joking right um and it's easy just because, like, telling stories is what we've been doing in personal interactions our whole lives. So you're like, well, this is familiar. I can, like, do this. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, for me, I've, like, grown into more, like, um, kind of, like, bigger picture concepts and right. thoughts. And you mentioned uh, working on a, on a show. When you're working on a show, how do you, like, you say, like, nine to six, how do you then, like, balance doing stand-up at night? Uh, I always make time for it. Yeah. It's like a sickness. I can't stop. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely, I, over the years I've learned to like say no to some things that, um, I know will ultimately like not have enough return on investment to do them. Like, you know, some like very far away show where, you know, there just like, won't be a lot of audience, which like, if I wasn't working, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go do that. And I'll work through some new stuff and it'll be great. But when you know that you have to be in a room pitching at 9am right. and you have to get up at seven to read the news and shower and get there, you know, doing an 11 o'clock show two boroughs away is like not ideal. Um, but for the most part, if it's like pretty reasonable, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Like I always just, because like, especially when you're writing for a show and me personally, like been writing for a lot of men and that's fine, but I need to like say my stuff mm-hmm. and it's like a nice release if you've been frustrated at work or like just another creative outlet that kind of feels especially like in the in these times like just very cathartic (laughs) to be able to go talk about certain things and like have a whole room agree with you or not Mm -hmm. mostly agree (laughs) and uh you've written a few humor books yes Uh, how'd you get started with that um my writing partner for those and i uh we she's in our stand-up and we met doing stand-up and like instantly just we're like, oh, you're my best friend. Um, and so she and I both worked in book publishing in the years before we did comedy. So we kind of know that world. Both big readers, both love parody. And so when Lean In came out, we were like, we should do something about this. Because this is, I mean, for all of the good things that are in that book, we found a lot of problems in mm. it too. That like, 
are, you know, big problems that are social and also like problems that you could make fun of very easily. Like the first page of her book is just listing a bunch of celebrities that she knows. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, sure. This is an everyday woman's guide to feminism in the corporate work. But what, what is this? <laughs> um, you know, and it's so out of touch and we just wanted to make fun of that. And we want, you know, we both been doing stand up, but like we're looking for kind of different projects to get into because we were both like working day jobs and then doing stand up at night and writing a little here and there, but kind of wanting to dig into something a little more interesting. So we just like, we wrote the proposal, we got some offers, but none of them were that great. And so we were like, we can self publish this. We like know what we're doing. We can write a press release. We know, we know how to, who to contact to like mm-hmm. get it seen. And so we self published on Amazon and like the next morning it was available. And then like, we just like, and like it got write ups in a bunch of places and people read it and it was really fun to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we did the follow the other one um for the Princeton mom who was like she was less famous, so the book also did less well, but mm-hmm. it was still like a very fun, like parody yeah. thing to tackle. It seems like parody books would be like the easiest to do like the self publishing route because you yeah. can tie it to bigger things. Yeah, and like it takes a really long time to I mean, it takes a long time to write a book. We wrote that one in like two weeks. Um <laughs> which wow. was insane. I mean it's a hundred pages. It's not but it's still a hundred pages. pages. Yeah. Um it's not not a hundred pages. Yeah. Um but it also takes a long time, even if it's being released only digitally, for like a publishing right. house to format and to do everything. And like for some reason, Amazon makes it very easy. And so you want those things have to kind of come out quickly. That was the issue with like the offers we got is they were like, well, it'll be like six months before it like hits Amazon. And we were like, we could have this on Amazon tomorrow. You understand that, right? Like, <laughs> which we're going to go do and make more money, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like it's the frustration with parody because like it's my favorite thing to write i think it's the most fun is to do parody and genre parody and television is really fun but it needs to come out close to the original or else it loses a lot of the effect right like six months after lean in came out would anyone give a shit about lean over like probably not right but we got it out a month later so Mm -hmm. it was like still very top of mind for everybody and you mentioned uh writing a book proposal how do you even go about like starting that? Did you like have any idea? Oh, yeah, you did, well, you we, in yeah we both worked that's in publishing, right, yeah. so we knew like what it was supposed to look like and what it was supposed to have in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that like anybody can find out. Like any um, anyone in publishing, or I think you could probably even just Google and find out like what. But it's basically like you want an introduction, you want a piece that explains like why now, why this book, what you know, where does it land in the marketplace, and and who would read it. Mm-hmm. And then a table of contents and then a sample of one chapter. And that's a book proposal. And so when you were like when you were working at uh, publishing companies and you'd get book, did you like look them over book proposals? No, I mean, I would see them yeah. like here and there come through. I mostly worked in uh, the phase after the book was in print and then taking it out to the indies and mm-hmm. kind of getting like cool reader events and um, making sure that like the right people were right. more of like the marketing side. But mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa worked in on the agency side, so mm-hmm. she saw a lot. Well, what, what do you think like book publishers look for in a proposal? Do you know? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I was in book, book publishing in, before 2008, which uh, was a very different financial landscape oh, for the right. industry <laughs> uh, in terms of... For like, every industry. Yeah, for every like, industry. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't think much is... I think like, you know, if you're writing something funny, that funny ultimately matters. And there's still like some social media, you know, people are like, well, if you're like a big thing on social right. but like, I th- uh, I think that the market has proved that like, that's not a one-to-one. Like, mm-hmm. just because you have 100,000 followers on Twitter doesn't necessarily mean your book is going to sell really well. Um, and conversely, some people who don't have that many followers on Twitter do have books that sell very well for, you know, other reasons. So it's, mm-hmm. I think no one knows. And just ultimately, good books are still, like, what gets bought. <laughs> how, how do you balance, like, work while you're writing uh, these books? Uh, well, at the time, I didn't care about my job, so we yeah. wrote them during the day. Oh, um, wow. nice. <laughs> Like, we would, we would both, like, pop into Google Docs during the day, and then we also, uh, she and I, it was at the time, she and I lived, uh, like, five blocks away from each other, and so we would, and we were doing the same, like, mics, open mics and shows, and so we would just look at our calendars and be like, okay, well, we can do the six o'clock mic and be home by eight and then work from eight to midnight. And then Tuesday, I don't have any shows and let's skip mics and we'll just go right home after work and let's like write. The, and so like in two weeks, we kind of just like 
scheduled it. We're like, it was a grind. Yeah. I mean, but it was at a time when I was, and I'm still, I still feel like I'm in that mode, but I just, you know, I'm tired cause I'm older. Um, where it was just like, we had, you know, writing on a television show would be a very different situation for that. I was, I was working at a temp job where like, I couldn't even tell you what I did all, all day. <laughs> so like the emotional labor and energy and the mental energy just wasn't being used all day. So mm-hmm. like from 5 PM to midnight or 1 AM, like was my prime, like thinking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all day I was just kind of awake. Um, so now that'd be harder. I don't think it's super easy for me to go from like when I'm writing on a show to like write all day and then go home and write all night. Mm-hmm. I need like a little bit more decompression time, but it's just a matter of like, you have a lot of, t- you have a lot of things to g- you have a lot of mental energy to give and it's just what, part of what you're you're doing are you going to be able to do that with i have a lot of friends who do like like kind of writing adjacent jobs like Mm -hmm. it's still creative but it's not quite writing it's not what they want and i always think like you should probably just do a temp job and do your writing yeah it depends it really because like i i spent three years uh copywriting at comedy central for the digital department and like definitely not what i like it's not comedy writing but it is like you know, you're watching a lot of Comedy Central stuff all day and you're mm-hmm. kind of like thinking about like funny titles. To co- but at the same time, like it, what, it it's still low stakes creative work in terms of compared to what some of the other things you do are. So like for me, like it was I, I think that it's a nice that was like my in between uh, having just like temp jobs and bad office jobs. Right. And then I did that and then I started writing for TV. So kind of. It's a good stepping stone, I think, to like prove you can be professionally creative, Mm -hmm. but it also is kind of one of those things where it's like, how much of your mental space are you willing to give to it? And like, how useful is what you're doing there to what's happening down the road? Mm -hmm. What are the hallmarks of like a good uh, parody book? Um... I think like capture it's I think that parody books are uh, not that different from impressions uh, Mm. on stage. So like it doesn't have to be this like perfect one-to-one. I think if you could nail the essence of what you're trying to make fun of about that person or, or that work or whatever it is. Um, and you kind of know the culture around it, then like the specificity is what makes it good. Mm. But like, it's not like you have to write exactly in the same tone as the author or like mirror, like chapter for chapter, page for page. It's just about like knowing like, you know, with Lean In, we read and we were like, yeah, obviously there's very good stuff in here. And ultimately, this is a positive book for women. But this is white corporate feminism. This is like very helpful if you're working at a Fortune 500 company <laughs> and you're white and you're, uh, you know, have a good education and all this stuff. So like we wanted to make fun of, of that out of touchness of it. So we were like, well, let's focus on that. And mostly, you know, the voice is a little different the the chapters we pretty much mirrored them but there were some that we just didn't do because it just wasn't worth parroting but Mm. like ultimately if it feels like it all connects to the original work in like a specific way the same way that like sometimes you see people like anthony atamanix donald trump like is not the sound alike of him i think that there are people that have been on the internet or whatever they do but like he captures everything about like the psychology the motivations the essence of him and makes it all very funny mm-hmm. around that. And I think that that's like what makes it an excellent impression versus somebody who just like can sound just like, you know, whatever right. and does and, and is like technically good, mm-hmm. but like that's how his is elevated. Right. Or someone who does neither like yes. uh, Alec Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Shots yes, fired right. at Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Neither technically good nor capturing an essence, mostly just a <laughs> mouth thing. Uh, and you wrote for your Triumph Selection Watch, Election Watch. Yes. Uh, how'd you get that job? Uh, I uh, was doing a million packets. Mm-hmm. and How what? do you approach writing a packet in general? I don't know. It really depends on the packet. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I kind of like them when they have a lot of uh, prompts for you. Like right. when there's a lot of directions and a lot of different parts. Because I'm like, oh, this is like, I kind of need to be told what to do mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, I'm not great just like on my, like, you know, I had one recently that was just like, just send us a couple pages of what you think works in the show. And I'm like, like, (laughs) just tell me what you want. Um, uh, which I know that some people like relish that kind of creative freedom. And I'm like, no, just tell me exactly how many monologue jokes you want. (laughs) Um, but, uh, 
the triumph one I like instantly was like this is the kind of I had gotten a lot of I, I hadn't done a ton of packets at the time when I did it I had um I had written for one uh just like e pop culture comedy talk show and I had done packets for I think the Daily Show and Seth and like one or two other late night shows at that point so like it was all like very earnest um or not earnest but like straight man to camera you know it was always just a Oh, right. You're writing for the voice of a human being that exists. Mm -hmm. And Triumph, you know, dropped in my inbox and I was like, a character, a weird (laughs) dog that's super mean and smokes cigars and like yells at people. Like, yeah, this is like, it's when I realized that like parody or like uh, that writing for character is more interesting for me and what I prefer. um, Unless somebody has a job that's not for a character right now and I would love it. and it was just so easy. You know, I grew up like loving Triumph. So like I knew the voice. I knew what it was. It was like right at this kind of like bubbling up time politically where like, you know, it wasn't as sad as it is now. Um, so it was kind of fun to still be a little bit surface. And I just like that one was like a lot of like write 10 to 15 one liners, write six to 10 bits. And I wrote 15 one liners and 10 bits. Like I was like, I will do. And then there was like an optional other section and I like did the max you could do for that. I was like, this is the most fun I've had writing in so long. And it's like so easy to come up with these. And, uh, I, I'm at the same agency as Robert Smigel. So like, it was very nice that, um, I think that part of that was helped by being all in the family. Um, and my agents were like, Hey, they love you. Um, and, uh, it was like a slow to kind of like get rolling, like all TV shows that are kind of like startup. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a night, like this guy, they're like, you know, they send out a packet. They're like, it's June, t- June 10th. We want somebody to start June 20th. And like July 1st, you're like, how come I haven't heard anything yet? Um, and they're like, yeah, they're still making decisions. And you're like, what is this? And yeah. like, uh, so by the time it started, um, it was much later, but I was just like super. And you know, I worked, they have a core group that works in an office and then they have a, a little bit larger group that's working email remote. Mm. Um, so I still had jobs. And like I had my copywriting job during the day and like I would get emails just randomly. I would get emails at like midnight that were like, hey, we need like as many jokes about like these senators for tomorrow as possible. We just found out they're going to be at the convention and Uh. you would just like stay up until like three or four in the morning just like researching and just like writing as many fucking mean jokes about these losers as you possibly could. And it was the most fun. That does. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun, too. Like just like. You get this email, like, we need these jokes now. And you yeah, can, like, I kind of out. need that deadline. Yeah. Like, it's not like when you, you know, like with a packet, sometimes they're like, yeah, you get two weeks and it's like four pages. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm definitely going to do it next Thursday. Like, <laughs> uh, whereas, like, you know, this was like so immediate and it kind of does force your brain to kind of get into mm-hmm. joke mode immediately. But I felt like I was like, I don't know, it's the closest I'll ever be to being like an on call doctor. <laughs> like, <laughs> where like there's some urgency to it because there's no urgency to television writing. It's right. all like so. But this is like the one time where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is cool. Like, it feels kind of exciting. <laughs> How do you write jokes for Triumph? Like, what would you describe, like, his voice, I guess, in that? Um, I mean, they're traditional roast jokes for right. the most part. And I love, I don't do any of the roast stuff, the roast battling or anything in the city. But, like, roast jokes are the most fun thing to write because they're a formula. Mm-hmm. And once you learn what it is, you could write a thousand of them. Like, there's just no, you know, it's fun, like, for me, I always tried to get uh, two targets in at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm struggling to think of an example that I used at Triumph because there were hundreds and I just don't remember any of them. Um, but, you know, and, and they're and they're also like fun because they're like just about physical appearance. And like just because like it has to with try like they're quick hits. Like it's just every segment's just like two minutes and it's yeah, just yeah. like and you don't know what they're going to have time for. But you do know like what you know wolf blitzer looks like and what his name sounds like and what you're going on like base stuff and then trying to make i always just tried to make the joke as weird as possible because you're going off the obvious already and to get it picked you would want it to be like because they would just you know smigel would just like look through pages and pages of jokes and pick the ones he wants and then just have them all on call while he's doing the actual like field piece or whatever so it's not like it's scripted out by any means um so uh they're fun. It was fun, and fun just to be like, there is nothing felt off limits. So like the mean jokes that I could never like things that I've like thought about tweeting, but I'm like, oh, I can't have that. Like <laughs> you know, that, like that's like the perfect place for them because right. like a character that's a non-human puppet can really say way more. 
than a late night host talking to camera or right. talking to somebody else. It is weird how uh, jokes are so predicated like on stereotypes. Yeah. And now like as we become like I guess a more um, uh, nuanced. What? Nuanced. Nuanced. That's a good word. Yeah. Uh, you can't. You can't do as many stereotype jokes, which is good. Yeah, which, which is, is good, good. Which is mostly good. But and also, like, I mean, there are there are some like you know some favorite joke styles that are lost in that. But at the same right. time, it's like totally worth the loss to like have progress in human society where we treat mm-hmm. each other like equals or whatever. Um, but there is some fun to just because you can go a little wild with punchlines and with, you know, once, cause there's the idea of we're all playing on the same, we're all looking at the same page. So we know exactly what right. the, there, it's like a shorthand. Mm-hmm. So, which is what stereotypes are in joke writing. So you just have to find ones that aren't offensive or are offensive, but to people who deserve it. Right. Like Republicans. <laughs> uh, and so you've written pol- political comedy since I guess right before the election. Yeah. And now pretty much throughout yeah. time since then. How is how have things changed like in terms of what you do comedically for that? It's definitely harder. And I remember uh, in my interview for the president show, that was a question that um, one of the producers asked. And he was like, you know, what what do you think is different writing jokes today than, you know, pre-election with Triumph? And it's like, yeah, like making fun of how Trump looks like isn't really worth the airtime. Like right. one, they've all been done like there is a little bit of like, because political discourse is now in every corner of comedy, every, like every baseline joke, just about his appearance or like that he's poor or like what, like they've all been made. Um, so it's like trying to tackle the, the deeper stuff that's going on. And that's a harder balance because like, it's easy to just make fun of somebody's looks and to have people laugh and to be like, yeah, the wor- the hardest that is to process is for somebody to be like, hmm, I hope nobody makes fun of how I look or, you know, yeah, yeah. but when you're getting into this like deep inequalities and this real inhumane treatment of people, like it's hard to make that funny. And, and at president show and at the opposition, like that's been a struggle. Um, and I think both shows like handled it really well. Um, having to do a show a couple days after, and I, I know the opposition, I was at president show at the time, but I know the opposition started the day after the Vegas shooting. Um, that was like their first show, um, was Monday and that shooting happened on a Sunday. And even at president show, we were doing it on Thursday. Like it really didn't feel like enough time, but also it felt insane to not talk about it. And I think that like, those are kinds of the things that now, you feel like you have to write about politically and that is just more challenging. It's way more cathartic when you make it work. And I think like the president show episode we did that week was one of the most like, you know, almost like a relief when we did it. Like it felt like we could move on a little bit and Mm -hmm. that's just me talking as somebody who was writing it. And I have no idea how people who watched it felt, but you know, that it's a higher stakes poker. You know, the rewards are high when, when it really pays off, but it's hard for it to. And when it doesn't, it's like just kind of a bummer. Right. It's it's so weird to think too, like, um, like in the seventies, like the, the joke about Gerald Ford was that he just fell down a lot. And now it's right. like, what's like the joke about Donald Trump? There's like too many, there's like not even, yeah. there's not even a really great. Even W it was like, he choked on a pretzel. Right. Someone threw a shoe at him. He's kind of dumb. He did cocaine. Yeah. Like, you know, those are. I I long for that time a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of just being a I'm like a very like set up punch joke writer like I just could do that all day right um so part of me misses that because like what we're talking about now requires some real context and nuance but that's what's been good about writing for characters in this world like writing for Trump and Pence writing for you know Jordan who was uh you know an alt right Alex mm-hmm. Jonesy type and not the real Jordan Klepper. Uh, is that like you're kind of already in that world a little bit Mm -hmm. and you get to like say something about that world from a different perspective, which like can be much funnier. Mm -hmm. In general, how do you think comedy has handled Trump? I don't know. The best it can. (laughs) You know, it's I I wish it wasn't as much the focus. It seems I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like it seems like 
there's no real monoculture anymore. So maybe everyone's jumped on Trump as yeah. our as our culture, as our monoculture. So yeah. it's like the only thing we can talk about. I know, but I do miss kind of like and and shows still do it, of course, but just like the old traditional, like just silly monologue stuff and like right. silly new like I don't know. It's like nice to get a it's like weird when I think about like writing about climate change is like a nice break. Like yeah. that's not great. <laughs> um we're not in a good spot with that. Uh you know, I do like that there's been, like, more of an attempt, at least, like, in, and again, like, I always will talk about, like, my shows as being the best because I wrote for them right. and I, I am more, I understand what was happening inside of them more than any other show. But, like, President Show and Opposition, like, did a good job of trying to talk about, like, the culture more than the person. And I feel like the when we got into the weeds, like, was when we wanted to have the show get dominated by like the very specifics of like what happened with the Mueller investigation mm-hmm. or what Cohen was up to or whatever. And it's like, that's the stuff that like every talking head has been talking about since it broke at noon. Like, why don't we talk about like this other weird thing that like, if we're trying to make satire, let's make satire about like this entire world. And not, I think that the problem with Trump is that like, he's such a magnet for attention that like, I'm fine if everything becomes super political. And if that's something that like, TV shows want to and are equipped to tackle like there is a lot that we should be talking about right now if we want to make good satire but he becomes a lightning rod and it's like everybody's like oh my god like he said this and did this and like called this woman this and it's like but like under the surface there's a million awful things that we should be pointing to also and that to me is like the issue is like we're getting caught up in like his shit and like there's so much more happening that if we're trying to use like comedy to make like political points and and bring to light things that like require attention. There's more than just him. He's just a symptom. Right. Uh, and so you mentioned working on the president's show. Uh, how'd you get that job? Um, I'd been in LA and, uh, they were kind of shuffling around, uh, cause the way that comedy central kept ordering those seasons, there were people who were like coming that were like, I can only do seven episodes and then I'm leaving. Right. So, uh, there was an opening and I did a packet and it was like one of the, I don't know. Sometimes I do a packet and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this was. Why did I do this? This is like so bad. This is terrible. I don't know how to write for this person. I just can't like, I'm just going through motions. Um, but then this one, I loved the show. Like when I've known Anthony for a very long time and I adore him and I know a lot of people on that staff and they're brilliant. And I just watched the show and was like, I'm just a fan of this. This is just good. I was doing some stuff in LA. Um, and, uh, did the packet and was like, Oh, I'd love to get this job. Like, I just felt like, I was like, I feel like this is, this could all just go on TV right now. Like this feels like it's exactly the voice of the show. I know what I'm doing. Um, I did the packet. It was due Friday at noon. I got a call Saturday morning that they wanted to have a meeting on Monday via Skype. Like it was one of the, and then like by like Monday evening, I think they had been like, we're going to make an offer. And then, like, Tuesday, they were like, all right, great. Like, here's your plane ticket. Like, you're coming wow. back to New York. And I was like, thank God. I hate L.A. Um, oh, you hate L.A.? I'm not a fa- I, I, I like it, and I appreciate it for what it is. But, like, this is my home, and I would always mm-hmm. rather be here, like, as a stand-up. It's just... Oh, This right, is, like, yeah. where you want to be. L.A. is kind of tough and, like... Stand-up, stand-up's way better here Stand-up's way better yeah. here. And it just, like, you know, that's not a rag on L.A., but it's just, like, this is... And also, like, I lived here for 10 years before. And, like, my family, oh, yeah. like, grew up here. Like, it's this is home. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather be here. So it happened like very, I feel like some of these jobs, like when they're meant to be, they happen like super quickly. And this was one of those. Mm-hmm. And I was just like thrilled. Cause it was kind I had kind of been up for a lot of jobs and things weren't working. Uh, and then, and they weren't jobs I wanted. They were just jobs. Cause I was like, I need a TV job. I need a new job. Like what, this is brutal. Like I can't just like flounder in freelance world forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this came through and I was like, this was the one I wanted. So Mm-hmm. Then the show got canceled. <laughs> uh, and you and you joined the show in the middle of the the season. Yeah. Like how, how do you like handle, July? Yeah. How do you handle like joining an existing room and stuff like that? There's like a. It's a, it's very different than like when you're there at the beginning and you're shaping the show. There is something kind of nice about coming in and there being kind of like mm. this is what we know the voice like. It's very fun to like build the voice of a show. Um and build the voice of a character and kind of determine like, well, this is going to, this is going to be like our take on this. That's so great to do. And I love doing it and would really like to like get to do it again. But there is something super nice about coming in in the middle and there being like, we know that this is what we like to do. Like these are, and like 
one, you can come in and it's quicker to kind of like get up to speed. You know, you can get up, you can get up to speed. Um, and two, it's a little easier to come in and like break shit, um, which is fun because like once there's a thing that exists, if you're working in it, sometimes it's hard to see outside of it. Cause you're like, well, we do this and we do this. And if you come in with fresh eyes, sometimes you can bring something a little bit different that kind of shakes up. Cause like the fun of comedy is like taking something that exists as a formal structure and then breaking it apart. Right. Um, especially with these like satirical shows. Um, that's when things like really get off the rails and fun. So for me, that felt like kind of an opportunity, but there is kind of a, a, learning curve to doing that because you do come in and everybody else does know. I mean, it takes, it takes a little time to like write in someone's voice. I knew Anthony's voice as Trump, like from just being a fan of the show and watching it and doing the packet. Um, but there still was like a little bit of just figuring out like how things work here. And then also learning the voice and also like, how do you pitch and like, what do they really want? And like, what's been done, what's been pitched already that was already turned down that like, you don't know. And that's kind of the hard part. And that's tough. And it's tough. It makes like the beginning of jobs. Like you're kind of like, am I supposed (laughs) to be here? Like, I feel like, and everybody else is not on that page at all. Um, there was one other newer writer when I got there, like president show was kind of always in flux. So Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like these are the people. And that, you know, when I came into the opposition, I was the first new person who had come into the staff since the beginning of the show. So that felt like that was a much harder uh, learning curve because I just felt like everybody knew so intensely Mm -hmm. what they were doing and I did not at all. Mm -hmm. And how would you handle like the the breaking news each week? At the president show? I guess for both because both shows. I guess one's a daily show. Yeah, yeah. So they're a little different just because one's a daily and one's a weekly. Um, you know, with a daily, there was much more of a like immediate decision of like, do we do something about this or not? Like, do we do we throw away something right. we've already written today and put this in, or do we not? Now, when that happened on Wednesday and Thursday at President Show, that was also the same kind of like fire drill. Mm-hmm. Um, but if something happened on Tuesday afternoon, we had the luxury at the President Show of being like, let's see if this is still even talked about tomorrow morning, and then we can make a decision. Whereas at opposition, you're like, either we put it on the show or we don't, and we maybe miss a boat, or we waste time on it. We don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that our, like, I've, the, at present show, like, the the executive producers and the head writers and Anthony and all had a very good sense of what belonged on the show, and we, like, knew when something was, like, worth, um, bringing up. I also, we had a very good structure for, because uh, the beginning of the show was the the press room uh, monologue style. Like, they would ask a question and he would answer. So there was a lot of flexibility in, like, if something, like, did happen that we want to get, like, at least a joke in, like, you could kind of squeeze it into that right. pretty quickly. Um, whereas at the opposition, you'd almost have to write a full little piece for it to yeah. make its way in. Because, like, there is no quick hit monologue style uh, element of that show. There could be a cold open sometimes and we would write those and they get cut for time. And like it was much more stressful uh, handling the news cycle at the opposition. But at the president show, there was a frustration of like when something happened on Monday, it was really old news by the time we got to Thursday night. So that's why I think the approach was like more of an evergreen trend and psychological and social look at what's happening with Trump and our culture, uh, because that wasn't going to change. Right. It is weird how like. I feel like if you the show pre twenty sixteen, mm. one of those shows, there'd be like the breaking news would be very easy to tell which one you need to focus on, which exactly. one you don't. And now it's like, do we talk about Michael Avenetti today? <laughs> like you just don't know, and that's like the heart and like, and everyone's talking about everything like between like the twenty four four hour news cycle right. and all of the late night shows and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Like it's so there's just so much of everything all the time anyway Mm -hmm. that like you're never going to be the only show talking about something unless you go off off the trump book a little bit which is like something i think we did well at president show where we could obviously we were tethered to him so much more um and i think there were times at the opposition where we did that and it was really interesting i personally wish we had done it more um i think we had the chance to we had four shows a week like you know, The Daily Show doesn't do a ton of different... I, I find when I watch The Daily Show, like, they're covering a lot of Trump. Like, they're on right before us. P- if people are watching both, they're seeing all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, here's our chance to, like, do something a little bit different. And that's, like... But that's the only way you're going to be, like, something that is... You know, John Oliver is that. Right. Like, every week, his main story is, most of the time, like, not super topical. 
um, to the 24 hour news cycle. And like, that's why people are so drawn to it is it's something different, even though it's still depressing, (laughs) like, uh, but it's something different and like, you're learning something. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see more Mm -hmm. shows kind of trying to do that just because it's also just as a writer, it's just more interesting. Mm -hmm. And how do you approach writing for the POV of Trump? Uh, I mean, Anthony, what's great is like Anthony had a very, he had been doing Trump on the road for so long, uh, you know, the whole election cycle that he had a very defined point of view of his Trump, you know, everybody takes that impression and has a different way they want to handle it. And his is so clear that like, really after like a week or two there, I was like, I know what, what this Trump says, does and thinks. And it is a hard line. Uh, to walk because the things that Trump says, the real Trump is very offensive all the time. And they, it is misogynistic. And it and like the thing you want to point to in satire is the misogyny, the racism, the just complete disregard for humanity, the, you know, making being poor a crime. Like there's all these things, but you can't just have those things coming out of his mouth because it's, it's hard to watch. Um, and they still have to be jokes. And it's like, it's less funny when you're seeing somebody dressed as him saying right. something satirical that like maybe if Colbert was doing it in a voice, it could be kind of funny, but to see Anthony kind of in like his Trump getup and like saying it in the voice, like it's a little harder. It's just a little harsher. So there was a weird line to have to walk where like, you couldn't just write a misogynistic joke and have him say it because then you're just putting that out into the world still. Um, and making it hard for people to watch. So it was kind of finding the way through um, to make the point that he feels that way, but without actually making a joke at the expense of women mm-hmm. or black people or Hispanics or poor people or any of the other people that he hates. Right. <laughs> uh, and then you worked on the opposition. Yes. Uh, how did that job come about? Uh, I uh, President show was finally over and whatever capacity comedy central wanted it to be whether that's a public thing or not i still don't know I think, um, isn't it coming back for some uh, we have a, we just did a special okay. that was very fun um so that'll be coming out i don't know if that's public but that's like a thing i think i've, I've it, I Anthony, yeah. they've been people have been like posting about it's, it but it's, it's not it's, it's not like set for a date yet yeah. i think that's coming soon um but i was kind of like uh in the new year kind of like coasting not sure like what i was gonna do next uh and the opposition was hiring and I had a, a good friend over there who recommended me. And so I did a packet and, uh, you know, it had another feel like I was doing the packet and, and I'd watched a bunch of it and like, liked, I was like, I like where the show is going. Like I could see it like, you know, I just think that if we had stayed on the air, it would have kept getting better. Um, but, uh, I did a packet and it was one of those like present show where it just felt like, I was like, I know this voice. I know that what I'm doing is right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met with Jordan and the executive staff and they were, lovely and we had like an hour-long conversation about like satire and you know coming off a president show writing for another character was something that obviously they wanted to talk about so we had a very similar conversation to the one you and I are having uh and just like got along wonderfully and uh thankfully it was a woman who left so they stuck a woman back in that (laughs) stuck a woman back in uh and and it happened pretty you know seamlessly and I thought I was going to be unemployed for like six months but thankfully it was just a month and a half um and then that was, and then I was off and running. I mean, it was like a quick turnaround again and just kind of like one of those things where it's like, this is the right fit. Like, let's just do this. Uh, and I was very happy to get to work there. It must be fun going from writing like the character of Trump to then going to like the other, not the other side, but the yeah. other, this other side of the Republicans, yeah. I guess. Yeah. The alt right. Right. Well, where like Trump and like when we were, we were writing, like it was very different too, because like I was like at president show, all I had to know was what Trump was up to, what Pence was up to, what people were saying, like, the new the actual like uh content of the news whereas mm-hmm. like going to the opposition you have to you're not just watching the news you're not just watching msnbc to be like what happened today you're watching fox to see how they talk about it right. and it was i didn't realize how dark that would get um mm. so quickly uh i am not a fox news viewer <laughs> uh i hadn't spe- you know here and there we would get pops of fox uh, at president show just to kind of go after something but this was like you had to kind of live in that world of the far right and Fox and Infowars are almost indistinguishable at this point. Uh, they've really merged together uh, in most of their beliefs, which was a terrifying thing to kind of see. Because I was like, oh, this is we're just going to watch crazy fringe people on the internet. And I was like, oh, it's, it's just Fox. That's what it is. 
Um, and, uh, it was fun though to kind of like get to write for a character that has like a backstory that's being created still mm-hmm. where like Trump, the thing with Trump is he exists as a real person. So right. like you can't make up a new backstory for him. Whereas Jordan, uh, the character was something that was constantly evolving and a world that we were kind of constantly building out for him. So it was fun to kind of get to write those details in and also to like, to get to talk, you know, at president show, we had to talk a lot about Trump because that's what the show was about. Whereas like there were times on the opposition where we really got to like dig into things that are more of the culture wars, uh, that I think the show like set out to really talk about, which is kind of this like insane divide that we're living in and kind of like what these two, like what the right and the left think of each other and like how we interact and like how they talk about us and how we Mm -hmm. talk about that, you know? And I think that that was like, a fun and interesting exercise and like really opened my eyes to like what's going on right now. (laughs) But also uh, just was like a a different kind of comedy to be writing. I'm curious too, because you've done a lot of political comedy and I guess that's kind of the the thing now. It's like the the trend is political comedy. Yeah. So you decide when you say that. (laughs) So like how, how interested were you in politics before uh, you like started doing these jobs and stuff? I mean, I've always been pretty interested, but not, in a way, like, I'm not someone who would, like, go home and watch CNN right. at night, like, or or knew who the pundits, I knew the main pundits, like, and, you know, some, and would read, you know, I read a lot, but, like, I wasn't, like, a deep, you know, there's, the, the person I am now, uh, in terms of political savvy and engagement versus who I was in 2015 mm-hmm. are unrecognizable to each right, other. Right. And even though, like, I always consider myself, like, politically minded, and I remember when I started doing comedy, um, cause I grew up, we watched the daily show, um, before Jon Stewart even took over. Like I was a long time. Oh, you, I was a Craig Kilborn era. Kilby? <laughs> just, I was just like, I don't know. It's just like nice to watch a talk show. That's like about comedy kind of, um, that is comedy. Uh, but like, you know, my parents are liberal and my mom's a Jew and we love Jon Stewart. And, uh, I remember her being like, you should do political con- you should get into this and i was like oh gross mom i don't want to do that like when i was like starting out in comedy because i wanted to do i don't know what i thought i wanted to do but i was like just thinking about stand-up and i was like right. i don't want to be a political st- i don't want to be lewis black i could appreciate lewis black but that's mm-hmm. not what i'm trying to do and she was like why don't you try and like write on the daily show and i was like wow who does that i don't want to do that like so lame and now i'm like i would love to write the daily show if they would like to hire me i would love to be there <laughs> um i think like it just kind of you know, part of it was like that political comedy is really good for the kind of joke writing I do. So it became kind mm-hmm. of a natural fit. Um, and I felt compelled to like be, I'm not, I, I didn't, I'm not super active politically. I wish I was more. I think I'm trying to make up for that a little bit maybe by being like, well now at least like this is a way I can use like the one talent skill I have, which mm-hmm. is writing jokes, which is a very useless skill. <laughs> um, but I feel like, I think a lot of people these days feel like that they have to be more engaged and that they have to be paying attention more. And you do. And I think it was like a bit of a wake up call for a lot of people to be like, Oh, I've just been sleeping on a lot of this. And there's some stuff going on that we should be aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's kind of a mix of like a personal need and also just kind of like a very logical, like use of skills. Mm -hmm. It is weird to think about though. Like if, if Hillary Clinton had won, what would comedy be like now? Like it'd be completely different. I feel it's, like it's a really, I, it's hard to imagine. I don't yeah. like, I, I wouldn't have had either of my jobs. Those shows wouldn't right, have existed, yeah. which is really weird to think about. Cause I'm like, well, I'd trade it all to like not <laughs> have this hell that we're living in. Um, though I have to be like, well, it did give me two jobs and that's not worth it. Um, but yeah, it's hard to imagine what it would be. I can't remember yeah. comedy before 2015. I, 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 you might say that jokingly, but I really can't. I genuinely can't. Yeah. I just don't remember, like, what late night shows talked about. I don't know what, like, outside of The Daily Show and Colbert, right. there wasn't really political comedy. Mm-hmm. And Bill Maher, I guess, if you want to call that oh, yeah. political comedy. but Or comedy. It is political. It's not comedy. <laughs> uh, did you like doing like, a daily show rather than a weekly show? Or did what, what did you like? What felt better? I mean, a weekly show is less work. Right. <laughs> Just objectively, you have to make 30 minutes of television once a week instead of 30 minutes of television once a day. Um, but there was more like, you know, when you're doing a weekly, you get 22 minutes, you know, 
six of that as a guest interview. Mm-hmm. That's like not really the comedy, right? Like there's just not a lot of real estate. So like so many things don't make it on. Um, you just don't have a lot of room to make a ton of stuff and you have to just throw away so much and so much happens that you don't get to talk about on the show. Whereas at a daily, like, yeah, it's a grind and it was like way harder. Uh, just objective, just being there at nine was harder. Um, but like you do have more shots on goal. So there is more, there can be more risks taken, which I think is very exciting. Um, and like, you're just writing a lot more. Like I look back and look at all the segments I wrote, and the time I was at the opposition, which was less time than I was at the president show because mm-hmm. I was there from February to June when we got canceled. Um, and uh, there's just so many segments. Like there were so many, th- like I got so many jokes on and we got to write so many um, that like as somebody who just likes writing jokes, like there's more joke writing to be done right. on a daily, but you can't sit and like on, present show we got to do really cool weird we did a whole uh my second week which was my my favorite week at the show by far we did a real housewives uh genre parody and like that was basically for me and anthony um (laughs) and like maybe one other person on staff who watched them but like it was like that was something that like that did take more than a day to like put together and write and get right but i think it was way more interesting than you know a three minute you know i guess that piece was like four minutes maybe so it was made more interesting when like a four minute desk piece where you're just throwing to video clips and right. then making a joke and then throwing to a video clip and then doing some more jokes like that was like more fun to write but we couldn't do that at the opposition right there just wasn't the time or the manpower to like mm-hmm. put something like that together mm-hmm. and, and was the show ending a surprise to you which one uh the, uh, <laughs> the opposition <laughs> yes that that sideswiped a lot i thought we would go to at least september because uh, that would have been a year mm-hmm. of uh on air but that's what happened i mean like i somebody told me when i started writing for tv that every job you have from now until the end of your career is a temp job right. and i was like Whew, okay i mean that's real but like there's also some freedom in that like now i'm back like I got to do the president show special. I went and worked on a little pilot in LA. That was fine. And like, there's kind of this, like, what do I want to do now? Like there is something kind of fun about getting to the kind of like constantly be like changing what you're doing. Uh, the bummer is that I liked what I was doing and I would have liked to have kept doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think that we could have done more interesting stuff if we had kept going and there, you know, there were pieces that were, down the road that I think would have been like really exciting to work on and very interesting to watch that I'm just sad that like no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do in between jobs to get the next job? Panic. Mostly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not great. You know, as I, I like when somebody's telling me what to do, like I'm not great in a like free for all, like do whatever you want. Like I'll just watch TV all day. Like I'm just not, even though like I like love working and I'm like, I'm just not good at the the structure of time off. Um, so I'm trying to, I've tried to every day, like just go to a coffee, like just take your computer, go to a coffee shop. You can't just sit and watch TV at a coffee shop. You'll look insane. Um, so I try and work on, you know, treatments for show ideas. I try and like really dive into stand up usually, um, and write more new stuff that I can like keep working out, um, and do more like open mics and stuff like that in the evenings. Um, you know, trying to find like what the next like big side project is to work on, trying to finish a pilot, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. all the writing and then just like just hounding my agents for every packet that comes in and every meeting I can take and, and hoping that, you know, that there will be something that's a good fit where there's an opening in the next couple of months where like hopefully mm-hmm. I can move on to something else and not disappear into like television <laughs> oblivion. <laughs> what would you like to be doing next? I don't know. I'm really, uh, I'm at an impasse. I'm, I'm trying to decide if, if political comedy is where I want to really stay and dig in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, or if that maybe now is a time to kind of try and make a shift to narrative. My, my love of, of all of these jobs I've had has been getting to write for a character and getting to write like interesting satire. There's not a lot of shows that actually do that and yeah. they definitely don't stay on the air very long. So it's not a stable uh, <laughs> career dream. But like for me, like as I said, like parody and genre parody and character like satire are the most fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so wherever that's available right now, there there isn't really a show on the air that does that. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that 
maybe from me or somebody else can can find a way to get that started because that's like what I would want to do. Mm-hmm. But right now I just want a job. So <laughs> I don't like not working. I get very bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up with some monologue jokes. Okay. Do you like monologue jokes? Yeah, I love them. They're, they're the for- okay. It's a formula. So you're just... Yeah. It's just easy and fun and... I don't know if I like them or if I just don't like mine, but... But yeah, I don't know how I feel about them. Anyway, here's some jokes. Um, this might these might be a little outdated, especially when people listen to this. But whatever. Um, this week, Miss New York was crowned the new Miss America. You could tell she was from New York because her talent was waiting for the subway. That's good. Topical. To- yeah. Uh, I feel like it'd be fun to go weirder with the uh, yeah. waiting for the subway. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's like she missed the crowning ceremony because their F train was running express for some reason or something like that. Uh, okay, that's fun. Yeah, kind yeah. of like take a little more, go more specific. That's what I always try and do. Mm. Was like one level down. Mm. Uh, Budweiser is sending cans of water to Hurricane Florence victims. Even better, they're not sending any Bud Light Lime. <laughs> that's good. See, like I, I think that joke like makes sense. And then I want to read it. I want to like read it ironically almost. Yeah. Which yeah, feels, with a little like wink to be like, yeah. I know it's a monologue. I, that's the that's the struggle of monologue is yeah. that inherently because we've we've come we've seen so many and we've come so far in comedy that I think like it's natural to feel like that they're all jokes because they're monologue like th- that yeah. like that like there needs to be another level of something on mm-hmm. top of them. Um, mm. Yeah, or you you could even be like uh, they're sending cans of water, uh, which are. Basically, it's just Bud Light. Just Bud Light, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> All right, this last one. Uh, in New Hampshire, a man was fined for kicking a seagull that tried to eat his Big Mac, but enough about Donald Trump. That's very good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's all, I don't know. I feel like it's a good, like, seagull, Big Mac, Trump. Like, it's all the pieces of, like, a good right. model, like, that um, are funny. Uh, cool. Anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Follow me on Twitter. That's the only thing I really... And then, like, that's where all my shows are, so... Cool. I, 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 every other Sunday, I host If You Build It at UCB. Oh, cool. Which is a fun stand-up show. That's a good time. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Boardwalk Audio Podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.